Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I am Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we're so excited to welcome Charlene Miner to the studio. Charlene, welcome. Thank you. We're really excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) We want to briefly introduce Charlene and then we'll jump into our discussion today. Charlene grew up in California and is an emergency physician and a mother of five children. She's been on the front lines as a healthcare worker in emergency departments and on the inpatient and intensive care units in Utah during the COVID-19 pandemic. Charlene has a passion for music, and we love this. She sings in the Tabernacle Choir on Temple Square with her husband, Gary. They've done that together for 12 years. Given all that she does and everything she's involved with, we're just so grateful that she would take the time to sit down and talk with us about her experiences as a woman of faith, a doctor, and a wife and mother. So thanks again, Charlene. Thank you. Well, to start out with, Charlene, you've worked as an emergency physician for about 25 years. What led you to pursue a career in medicine? I think it was uh, two loves, number one, science, and number two, people. I love learning, and I just loved studying science when I was in high school. Didn't do much of it in college. Mm -hmm. And then I love people. My greatest satisfaction comes from getting to know people and my interactions with others, whether it's at work or at home or in the neighborhood. That's succinct. And I love that you said, looking back as a child or a young person, you saw you had a love for science And there was a time maybe when that wasn't the focus, but then you came back to it and remembered that that was something you were passionate about. Yeah, exactly. I do love science and emergency medicine in particular. It's not such a cozy field where you choose who your patients are and everything's posh and orderly. You don't get to choose who you serve or see in the emergency department. And sometimes that's the ultimate challenge, Mm -hmm. serving those that you wouldn't otherwise come in contact with. I think ministering is kind of like that, too. You you wouldn't necessarily choose the people that you are assigned to minister to, but it's a great specialty. That's amazing. And we want to know about this journey of what led you to become a doctor. And we're curious what obstacles were there, what things made it difficult to achieve this goal or dream of becoming a doctor? Yeah, there were a lot of obstacles. The first obstacle was that I majored in music when I was an undergraduate. So I was at BYU and I majored in music education. So I graduated and though I was thinking about medical school along the way, that seemed like a big elephant to eat or a big something to chew off or something big to tackle. So I graduated from BYU with a music education degree and I had had one biology class, BioAg 100 from BYU. <laughs> I had tested out of math, so there was that. Like I didn't take any math courses. Hadn't taken math in years. BYU. Right, mm-hmm. not in years. And I had never taken anatomy. I could not have named one of our 206 bones in our body. <laughs> so the first obstacle was that. The second obstacle was my age. I was 25 years old. I was a single woman living in Provo, Utah, and calculating the time it would take to do all that science that I skipped over during college, as well as medical school and residency, I calculated that I would be 34 years old when I completed residency, and that just seemed so old as a 25-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a deep desire to be married and to have a family, and I had no idea how that would work out. I didn't know what my 34-year-old self would look like. The third obstacle was probably one of my biggest blessings. 
several people told me that it was not a good idea and I couldn't do it. <laughs> and that became my challenge. So I had a childhood friend who was a physician, and when I went to talk to him about it, he just thought it was too much work. And mm -hmm. in the back of his mind, he thought that women should just stay home. And so there was one of the discouraging voices in my head. Mm -hmm. I actually went to a pre-med advisor who, bottom line, said that I should concentrate on getting married rather than going to medical school. I was single at the time, and many told me that if I went to medical school, that I would then intimidate the men that I might otherwise date. So there was that. Those were the biggest obstacles probably to going to medical school. I love hearing this because I have many single friends who have shared with me a variety of concerns people have shared as they've pursued different paths. And I love that today we get to see where this led you. These were the discouraging voices, and now we get to hear what you did and what the outcome was. And I think that can be so encouraging to people in the thick of that. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I make this decision? What should I do? This is what other people are telling me I can or can't do. So thank you for sharing those. Well, and I think with those people specifically in mind, how did you overcome those obstacles specifically? And I'm wondering how that can translate to others who may be in similar positions. Yeah. Well, I looked around and I knew I didn't want to wait to be married. I didn't want to wait for someone to come along. And I also thought, if I'm going to intimidate someone with a medical degree, I'm probably going to intimidate them without a medical degree. <laughs> it's just who I am. And I wasn't afraid that I wouldn't be successful. I wasn't worried about the work. For better or worse, I've always had more confidence than is justified. <laughs> but there were a few taps. There's an article in the BYU magazine that includes insights from one of my friends back in Boston named Heather Sundahl and research from Susan Wilden Madsen that concludes that women, more than men, sometimes need a nudge to explore their possibilities. And as I read that article and thought about some of my nudges, I recalled that my roommate when I was going through this decision process, explained to me, frankly, that I would be 34 years old whether I had a medical degree or not. So that was my first tap. I had a music professor who was a good friend who really encouraged me and even wrote a letter of recommendation. The third thing, my mother had confidence in me. She knew that I would be the best doctor ever, and she still holds that truth yes. in her mind today. <laughs> yes. And lastly, when I prayed about this path, I felt that it was what I was called to do. It was consistent with advice given in my patriarchal blessing, and I really felt it was right. I had a love for science. I had a love for people. I knew that that was inside of me. And then when I prayed, I really just felt like, yeah, this is an okay path. This is awesome. That's amazing. I love the word from that article, possibilities, because thinking of women, I mean, not everybody's going to be a doctor. I'm personally very grateful for people like you because that wouldn't be my path. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter what those possibilities are. But if we can have the confidence and the encouragement to explore those possibilities, I think that goes a really long way. Right. And they don't all have to be outside of the home or a big career path. It's just doing what what you love. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was trying to decide to go on a mission, it was something that I just really wanted to do. And it was a good time in my life. And I just felt like it was definitely a possibility. And I shared it with one of my friends. And I was so disappointed and so hurt by his reaction because he was very dismissive saying, oh, you don't want to do that. So dismissive. And then I had other friends that are like, that's awesome. We're so excited for you. And that makes such a difference just to have that room to feel encouraged and to explore what's next for you and to do things that you love, no matter what they are. 
Right. And when you look at the young women now, I mean, you're younger than I am, but when I look at young women now, I just want to be so encouraging and positive with what their plans are. Definitely. Mm -hmm. We'll be sure to link to this article that you mentioned from BYU Magazine in the show notes so listeners can learn more from that. And I love this because I just think it demonstrates that just because there is opposition or just because it seems like this is going to be hard or this is going to take a long time or it doesn't necessarily make the most sense, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the wrong path for you or that it's a bad path. It could be be the right path. It could be the best path. So thanks for sharing that. And you've mentioned that marriage was on your mind. It was something that you wanted. You told us that your biggest goal in life was to become a wife and a mother, but that you also had some fears and hesitations about marriage. Can you share with us how you and your husband met? We know that you're married and that you have children, so at some point that happened. Tell us how you met, and as you made plans to marry, how you were able to move forward with trust and courage despite these fears that you had. So the shortest story is that we met at BYU and we got married 15 years later. Mm-hmm. So usually people meet at BYU and get married 15 weeks later, but we, we, were, <laughs> we were on the long path. We both sang in a large choir at BYU called Oratorio Choir. So we knew of each other, but we had never spoken. And then when I went on a mission to Japan, my husband was in a smaller choir that was formed while I was gone called BYU Singers. There were 40 people in that choir, and that choir is pretty tight. They travel together and meet together every day, and so it was a pretty tight choir. But I was off on my mission, and when I came back, Gary was in Southern California pursuing a master's degree. And so I didn't get to meet him or get to know him personally, but we had a lot of common friends. So I always knew where this Gary Miner was and what he was doing, but I didn't know him. And I frankly just didn't think that he was my type. Mm-hmm. So I ran into him after my first year of residency. I was out in Pittsburgh and went to a concert of the BYU Singers, and we ran into each other in the lobby. He had been in various parts of the country. He had been back to Boston. He had been in California, but he had moved back to Salt Lake City, and he had attended the concert, too. So we ran into each other in the lobby, and he got my name and number and wrote me a letter. And we started getting to know each other, and we would see each other when I would come out for vacation or he was back east. About a year and a half into that, he moved across the street from me in Pittsburgh, and we were engaged three months later. That's so That's neat. how that part happened. I was very hesitant to get married. And this is what happened to me. I don't know if it happens to everyone, but I had decided as an older single woman that I was going to be happy. I wasn't going to sit around and wait. I wasn't going to mope. I wasn't going to put my life on hold. I was going to be happy. And I was frankly quite happy. So getting married was new and strange and I had some hesitations to marry. My parents were divorced after 22 years of what seemed to be an idyllic marriage or fairly ideal marriage. My father left the church and he had been my anchor in the gospel during my childhood and I was left with a who and what can I trust perspective. I was just also completing something that was very difficult for myself. Medical school, residency, owning my own home, being in charge of myself, moving across the country alone, that was just a big deal. 
I had worked really hard and I was kind of self-centered in that way, I guess, that, you know, look what I have done. And I was looking forward to continuing my own pursuits. I was finally going to be done with the constraints of residency and the 110-hour weeks that we used to do back in the day. And I was going to have my own money. I wasn't going to be in debt anymore. And I was going to have freedom. And so I was independent and quite frankly, happy. And I knew I could be happy alone. And it was frightening to put my trust in another individual, even though I loved Gary. I felt like I was leaving the comfort of the Garden of Eden, you know, like <laughs> something that was really cozy and residency was difficult, but it was what I knew and it was what I was comfortable with. So you asked how I was able to move forward. And I did that just really one small step at a time. During my lonely single days, God had become my friend. And God knows me. And he also knows that telling me what to do doesn't work. So rather, God left that decision to me. And when I prayed about it, I knew that this was a decision that I had to make. So God also knew that I loved Gary, and he knew that I trusted Gary up to this point. Gary had told me that he was ready to take the next step forward. He hadn't proposed officially, but he told me that he was ready to take the next step forward. And I knew then that I had to make this decision. So I didn't ask God if Gary was my special someone. I asked God if this was a good path. And then I had to try the path. So I was coming home to Utah, and I decided in my mind I would marry Gary, and I trusted God that he would stop me in that path or let me know if that wasn't a good path. So I looked at the calendar, and I chose a date that we might get married. It was after residency graduation, which was just two months away. I called the Salt Lake Temple, and I reserved a time. I bought a wedding dress. I arranged for a reception location, a caterer, and a photographer even before Gary proposed, <laughs> just to see how it felt. Mm -hmm. And then I gave Gary a copy of the family proclamation and told him I was ready to take that next step. And God just continued to guide, and I felt comfortable every small step along the way, but they were definitely small steps. And I think that's a realistic expectation for Revelation, too. Not saying, Heavenly Father, do I marry Gary? Yes or no? You know, but it's like, <laughs> I'm going to continue down this path. Because that's the thing, too, about being baptized. We have the Spirit with us. And so we should know as we're kind of making those smaller decisions that would lead to this bigger decision. So I really right. like how you explain that. Right. I always wanted to kind of predict my life. What are we going to do when we have three kids? And are we going to have <laughs> a dog? Are we? Gonna, you know, I want to predict that, but I don't think anyone's life is predictable. I think everyone has a path that they often didn't see from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that you're not unique in feeling fear about commitment or marriage. What would you say to other women who have these similar concerns or fears about marriage or about trust? I think just take one small step at a time. I think who you marry is very important. I think finding someone that is trustworthy. Gary definitely I don't want to say earned my trust, but he showed me every step of the way that he could be trusted. And if you find a man like that, that's gold. If you find someone that you can trust 100%. So key. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I really appreciate you sharing these feelings of hesitation that you had, not just because of your family background, but also because you had worked so hard through years where you had to do things by yourself. 
And then to have to get to this point where, well, I guess now this change is going to happen where I have to rely on someone else and trust that they'll step in and be there like they're promising that they will be. I just think that's a very relatable feeling to so many women who are not married or who marry later and encounter that big change after having to learn to be so independent. So thank you for sharing that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so scary. Well, Charlene, we talked about how you've completed residency at this point. You married Gary, and now you're wanting to start a family. And you did have some challenges with infertility that you've shared with us, but you and your husband were able to have five children in five and a half years, which is incredible. But during this time, you continued to work part-time as an emergency physician and continued as your children have grown up. We would love to know what led you to continue in your career during these years of childbearing and child rearing, and how did you and your husband balance family and work responsibilities? I continued in the career because I loved it. It was something that continues to bring me joy. It just continues to bring me joy. Frustration, sure, but it continues to challenge me, and I love to be challenged. And as I said before, I love to consistently and constantly learn, and I feel like it's something that not only enriches my life, but I can use that to then enrich other people's lives. There was a study done at BYU. I think it was in the BYU magazine again. And it talked about couples that both work. And the thing I remember about that article was that couples that both work, the conclusion was that every year might be different. They have to be flexible. So when our children were little, my husband was a physical therapist at the time, and he changed his work schedule to four 10-hour shifts a week. And I changed my work schedule, so I was working every Sunday overnight, and he had Mondays off. So I worked Sunday overnights, and then I worked Tuesday evenings, and then hired one of our friends to come and care for our children on Tuesday from 3.30 to 6.30 when Gary got home. So we've always been committed to being home as much as we can with the children. So we've just arranged our schedules. And as an emergency physician, I can be pretty flexible in my schedule. Might take some of my sleep away or some yeah. of my really early morning hours away, but we've made it work. I think another aspect of working couples is the financial aspect, because sometimes there's some financial disparity or sometimes the woman's the only one working. Sometimes it's only the man working. But again, from another BYU article that I love, Jeff Hill, a BYU professor of family life and co-author of a study said, relationships that thrived are based in trust. So when you relinquish control over something that is near and dear to you, like the money that you work so hard to earn, regardless of gender, and say, this is ours, and we are going to have equal access to it, that shows trust. I love hearing about the different arrangements that husbands mm -hmm. and wives make to kind of fit the puzzle pieces together. And it sounds like you were able to find something that worked for you in what sounds like probably a pretty chaotic time. And that kind of leads us right into this next point, which is that for that to work, husbands and wives have to be partners and to be working together. We'd love for you to share your thoughts on how husbands and wives can better support each other as equal partners. We know the Family Proclamation teaches that husbands and wives are obligated, it says, to help each other as partners. We'd love to get your thoughts and experience with that. Yeah, I think both partners definitely need to be all in if you're going to make this work. But there was another BYU article that I loved that said that spouses are more satisfied when neither one is solely responsible for any given household task. 
the conclusion was that women spend significantly more hours than men in combined time working outside of the home and inside it. I'm not sure that's the case with our situation, but household work isn't often seen as real work. So the four points that they brought up in the article was, one, understand how household work got divided in the first place. Before the Industrial Revolution, everyone worked at home. That's all there was, was home work, whether it was milking the cows or turning the cream into butter. Mm -hmm. And then the second point was to value that household labor as important for all family members. So the purpose of household work is to strengthen the relationships, not the end result of a clean garage or a neatly coiffed yard. So as you look at family work, rather than seeing it as a bathroom that needs to be scrubbed, it's a way to contribute to the household. My husband, who's really good at it, loves to do laundry. And I remember when the children were little, he did most of the laundry when they were really, really small. And he said, I just love folding Rachel's clothes because I can think about her. And he really like elevated laundry that <laughs> yes. to a level. So sweet. <laughs> that is Because I'm like, how do these kids wear so much clothes? <laughs> I, I know, right. <laughs> right. Again, we'll link to this article and the others. This is such a great resource from a sociology professor, I think, was who had done a lot of the research that went into this article. And I think just so wonderful to have this research and these ideas, especially from a Latter-day Saint perspective, infused with our beliefs about the divine roles of men and women, but also what culturally gets laid on top of that that isn't necessarily real. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned having kids and especially young kids, or I imagine teenagers, that's just a chaotic time of life. And you just have to be flexible and figure it out as everybody grows up and changes. But what counsel would you share with women who are in the thick of raising children? I think one of the most physically exhausting times was when our children were little. I remember sometimes lying in bed thinking, how many more nights do I have to brush six sets of teeth? And being so exhausted getting into bed at night, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. It's never ending. And once we put that mother train on the track, it never goes away. But it's very glorious. And in that, I don't mean it's all fun. It's not all fun in games. But we are made to create and to grow and to learn. And in motherhood, whether there are biological children or those that we adopt, or those nieces and nephews that we see, I really feel like all people, women or men, are made to create and to grow and to learn. And some of my most marvelous times with God have been through those difficulties of having young children or difficulties with teenagers. So whether it's brushing teeth or buckling several children in car seats and then having them escape two blocks later and having to pull over and rebuckle. Yep, I see you nodding your head. Shailen's <laughs> nodding her head. You've <laughs> been there. Yeah, at the end of a long day. Or trying to help direct teenagers toward good habits and friends or figuring out to be a loving, guiding mother without trying to control adult children's choices. This is a hard thing to do. This is so difficult, but luckily we have a loving father that is doing the same thing with us. He's tutoring us, and if we can dial into his power, we can be influences for good. Oh, that's such a good perspective. I love that because here we have this literal father who, like you said, is doing the same thing for us. And so who better to seek counsel from? Mm -hmm. Right. I love that. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that you've distinguished this joy and meaning 
And what you said was really glorious from fun. I think sometimes I just think of it being as maybe a young woman teenager thinking about marriage and family and not really infusing it with the realities and not really knowing what the realities were. But I think that as older women, like you said, as we encourage and support young women, whether that's in a church calling or family members, to help them see the full reality of what it is like to be a mom or an adult woman, but to also show them there is glory in this that there is a great reward and great meaning coming from these learning, growing, creating opportunities. Yeah. And sometimes you have to look for it, right? It's not always obvious. It's kind of like serving a mission. You know, you go out on your mission, you think, oh, everyone comes back and says, that's the greatest (laughs) two years or 18 months of my life. And then reality hits the road when you're out there. And it is hard. (laughs) It's very difficult. And every day is not a day that you go home and think, oh, that was the best day of my life. (laughs) But cumulatively, you can see how your relationship with God has been strengthened through that experience. And there's the real glory. So Charlene, we'd love to know how your career as a doctor, obviously you're blessing the lives of those that you serve at work, but how has this blessed your children and your family, the things you've learned and what you've participated in as a doctor? So I didn't really know how to answer that. We had talked about it before the podcast. So I asked my children, can I bring some of those answers? (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. So this is from my 18-year-old daughter. She said, cool stories, because I always have a story. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. (laughs) From my 21-year-old son, he said, being able to spend time with us and taking care of us. And then from my 20-year-old son, he said, answer to your question. I've been blessed by your career because as well as supporting your family, your hours, meaning my schedule, Mm allow you to still be very much involved with my life. I also value that I have a mom who has chosen to put others before herself as a career. I feel like that has translated into your personal life as well, always looking for ways to serve people and worrying about the wellness of anybody before yourself. I have one more from my husband. He said, it has opened you up as a reliable source for our children's friends. Where our kids may see us and you as just a normal, dumb parent, (laughs) (laughs) being a doctor to their friends is now a cool or really valuable thing, and it has opened some doors. That's so sweet to hear their perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Teenagers, though. (laughs) Sometimes you're just the dumb mom. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you do, right? What your credentials are. That's right. Well, Charlene, you have worked as a doctor in emergency departments and on the inpatient and intensive care units during the COVID-19 pandemic. What have been the greatest challenges and how has your faith in Jesus Christ brought you hope and strength during such a difficult time? Well, in many ways, it's been the best of times and the worst of times, right? So if I could just break it up into four categories, I think that would be easiest. Number one, there have been physical challenges. At the beginning of the pandemic, the hospitals were empty. I would go to work and our volumes went down by 30%, which wasn't so frightening to me. I'm towards the end of my career. My house is paid off. I've paid off my student loans. Mm -hmm. And financially, we have two incomes. But for some of my partners that were fresh out of medical school and residency, It was really a scary time. We didn't really know what was going to happen with the business of emergency medicine. Now, physically, the challenge is that there's more work than ever. So our volumes are well above normal. And to add to all of that, the hospital beds are full. 
and staffing is an issue with nurses and technicians and such. So it's a very challenging time. I often come on to a shift in the emergency department and there are five to 10 patients that are waiting for beds upstairs and they're just not available. So you carry those patients with you as well as everyone else that comes into the emergency department. So physically, that's been challenging. There have been emotional challenges. At the first of the pandemic, it was very scary. We didn't know how it was spread. We didn't know what the short-term or the long-term effects of COVID would be. We still don't know all of the long-term effects that COVID might leave us with. We were the only connection to our patients. So we would have patients that came in that we would put on ventilators or put on a type of oxygen that would make it so that they couldn't communicate or we would admit them to a hospital bed where they were no longer able to see their loved ones or we watched them die in the emergency department from this horrible disease. And emotionally, that's tough to know that you are their last contact. You are their lifeline. And as I was on the floor, that was emotionally straining as well, just to know that their family could sit in the parking lot outside of the hospital and sometimes we could wheel them to the window to wave to them, but they couldn't actually be there and hold their hand. So emotionally for nurses and physicians and everyone involved in the hospital, it continues to be a big burden and it's mm -hmm. been difficult. Even lately, we can have visitors, at least today, the visitor policy changes all the time, but oftentimes they have family members that are home struggling with COVID as well. So you're it. And if you add on English as a second language barrier, that's got to be frightening for the patients. And it's emotionally challenging. Mm -hmm. I've grown to love the people I care for. And it's difficult when they don't do well. It's very difficult. So physical challenge, emotional challenges, there are mental challenges. We have learned so much about COVID. The management of critically ill patients with COVID has shifted. For example, at the beginning of the pandemic, our learning and every journal and every update that we got was if someone looks like they need oxygen, just put them on a ventilator. You need to ventilate them right away. So that's what we were doing. And then all of that shifted. We found out that, no, they weren't doing very well when we put them on the ventilator. So keep them off the ventilator as long as possible. Normally, in a septic patient or someone that has a severe infection, we give them fluids, fluids, fluids. Lots of fluids, lots of IV fluid. Mm -hmm. But we found that that is really detrimental in COVID. So we've learned and we're still learning every single week we get an update about here's a new medication or try this. And a lot of things are coming on the horizon. We're just learning a lot about the virus. And so mentally, it's been a challenge to keep up with all of that. And then the spiritual challenges. I love what you asked in the last part of your question where you said, how has your faith in Jesus Christ brought you hope and strength during this difficult time? Throughout the pandemic, I've held to my firm belief and conviction that God is at the helm. He loves us each individually. He loves us collectively. He loves us as a community. He loves us as caretakers, as siblings, as family members. And like Nephi, I know that God loves us. I don't know how this is all going to end, but I do know God's in charge. And I know that this dispensation, unlike other dispensations, end with Jesus Christ coming to earth. So it's not like I put all of my, oh, you know, Christ will come soon. We can just wash this all away. But I know deep down inside that he is at the helm and he loves us. And that has gotten me through many days of the pandemic. 
That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing these perspectives from the position that you are in. And I just really appreciate the simple faith that you had of these simple principles that God is in charge and that he loves us. And I love that you said you have just held on to that. And I'm sure that the things that you're doing in your life are supporting that tightly held belief to just be able to keep going through these really heavy challenges because of your work. Charlene, just as we get toward the end of our discussion today, we want to ask if there is anything more that you would like to share with the women of the church or those listening to the podcast. I think the one thing that I would like to share is that I know God lives. I know God loves every single woman and man in this church and out of this church. He loves your neighbor just as much as you. And how important it is to look at our associates and those that we come in contact with as children of God. I think if the emergency department has taught me anything, it's taught me that, number one, we can't always choose who we serve and who we love, but every single person has value. And some people get sidelined on a path that might not seem right or what God would have them do, but God loves them just as much as he loves you and I. Well, thank you so much, Charlene. I could listen to you all day. (laughs) I just really appreciate you being so open with your experiences and how you've made decisions and the things that have happened in your life. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, and for your unique perspective. This has been Mm -hmm. really interesting to talk with you. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. As a reminder, we have new episodes released every week, and we hope you'll continue to tune in and share these episodes with your friends and family members. We love hearing from you, so feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions for topics or guests, or please leave a rating or review on the platform where you listen to your podcast. We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. In addition to being on the church's website, it's also available on the Gospel Library app, Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere. So tune in, subscribe, and please continue to share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. Finally, we'd like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next time, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. Thank you.